Jay Sigurd here, Starting Point Podcast. We're talking science, faith, and a whole lot more. Buckle up, because it's go time. Well, thanks for joining me for today's broadcast. We are headed into part three of our discussion on the existence of God. The previous episodes included a lot of important information, so I highly recommend listening to those if you missed them. I've been mentioning each time this statement. If God doesn't exist, then ultimately nothing really matters. But if God does exist, then ultimately nothing else really matters. Interesting thing to think about. Well, we've got a lot to discuss today, but before we dive in, please make sure you subscribe to these podcasts so you can be alerted when each new one comes out, typically on Friday of each week. You can also help us out by leaving a five-star review, which helps us reach more and more people, and it really makes a big difference with just that small effort. So what can you expect on today's show? I will finally be getting into discussing the actual evidence for the existence of God. We covered a lot of groundwork that we needed to in order to be able to be in a position to render a decision on whether or not God exists. Very important stuff if you missed it. I mentioned we'd be looking at three lines of argumentation. I'm calling them logical, evidential, and supernatural. Those are just my terms that I drafted to describe the content I'm going to be sharing in these podcasts. I'll also be talking about why the evidence doesn't really matter. Like, what? Yeah, I know it sounds really strange, and I don't really mean it in the way that it sounds, but I think you'll find my explanation of this provocative statement very interesting, once again, very logical. We'll get there. You just got to hang in. We're also building very slowly towards the biblical aspects of this subject, meaning the existence of God, laying some other foundational groundwork first. And I'm going to take a short rabbit trail first here in this episode, and I'm already regretting it, but I think I need to do it. It's prompted by something that I read from the Center for Inquiry. They're a nonprofit organization that exists to, quote, foster a society free of the dogmatic influence of religion, unquote. So very much a humanistic organization, atheistic. And they stated that atheism, atheism indicates what someone does not believe, but it says nothing about what someone does believe. Let me repeat that. They say atheism indicates what someone does not believe, but it says nothing about what someone does believe. I'm thinking, what? That doesn't make any sense. If you believe God does not exist, which is what they believe as atheists, they believe that God does not exist. Actually, let me rephrase that. i got to be very careful. It's so easy to say it that way. They lack a belief in the existence of God. So in their mind, God doesn't exist. They don't have a belief in God. And they live their lives as if God doesn't exist, and they try to explain everything apart from God. If you lack a belief in God... You don't believe in God. It does say you do believe that the explanation for everything around you is a naturalistic explanation. Naturalistic, coming from nature. Wait a minute. The world around us is nature. How do you explain the origin of nature through naturalistic explanations? Naturalistic means referring only to nature. But nature doesn't exist yet. We're supposed to explain how it got here. So anyway, they have limited themselves to non-supernatural explanations. It does 
say something about what they believe. And I could go on and on about that, but I'm going to move on. Uh, Dr. William Provine, he died in 2015. He was a professor of biological sciences at Cornell University. Smart guy. He was also an atheist, and this is his quote. Quote, let me summarize my views on what modern evolutionary biology tell us loud and clear. And I must say that these are basically Darwin's views. There are no gods, no purposeful forces of any kind, no life after death. When I die, I'm absolutely certain I'm going to be completely dead. That's just all. That's going to be the end of me. There is no ultimate foundation for ethics, no ultimate meaning in life, and no free will for humans either, unquote. Very depressing outlook, but very consistent with an atheistic worldview. He was an atheist. This made sense for him to say that. I'm just going to pull out one phrase for now. At the end, he said he believes there's no free will for humans either. Interesting topic. That is our brief rabbit trail, the idea of free will. This is a dangerous rabbit trail to go down because I'm not going to go very far. We could do a whole series on this. Maybe in the future I'll do that. But this idea of free will is even hotly debated amongst atheists. We can call it determinism. It's kind of the opposite of free will. Everything is already predetermined. What that means is that all actions or outcomes are completely predetermined by the details and circumstances surrounding all of the related preceding events or causes. These preceding events or causes, they themselves are all solely the result of their preceding events and causes. There's no room here for truly making choices that affect the future. It's just stuff happens because of what happened before it, and the things happen before it because of what happened before them, and on it, it just keeps going back. You have no control. Everything you do is kind of predetermined from particles moving in the universe because there's nothing to control the particles outside of themselves. There's nothing in making a decision to decide which way they're going to go. They're banging into each other. There's only matter and energy in an atheistic, deterministic worldview. Even the new atheist said this, quote, free will was a necessary idea once upon a time, but we are quite beyond that now, unquote. Wait a minute. Who or what decided it was necessary for a while and who or what decided it's not necessary anymore? That's kind of a bizarre concept, and we're not actually truly beyond it. Within an atheistic worldview, we're not really beyond the idea of free will. It's just that particles, the way that they have moved, they initially created the illusion that free will existed, but the particles kept moving and resulted in us believing that free will does not exist. Now, if you don't believe that, that's part of what was predetermined from the beginning, from the Big Bang. Some of you believe it, some of you don't. It's all just undirected movements of particles. That's true within an atheistic worldview. There are so many self-contradictions when dealing with this idea of free will and determinism and all that. It gets kind of crazy, and we'll, we'll intertwine that throughout our discussion here. Another quote from Sam Harris. He's one of the leading atheists of our day. He wrote a book called Free Will. Here's one of his quotes. He said, quote, Free will is an illusion. Our wills are simply not of our own making. We do not have the freedom we think we have. I cannot determine my wants. My mental life is given to me by the cosmos, unquote. 
So even his belief in that was not his decision. He didn't come to that conclusion on his own. Particles moved a certain way to make him think that. I actually don't agree with him. But in his mind, the reason I don't agree with him is because my particles are moving a different way. I can't agree with him. I can't even, quote, want to. And even if I wanted to, it wouldn't be me wanting to. It would be particles moving a certain way. It gets really crazy when you pull God out of the equation, which is what they do. That leads me to one other story, kind of interesting. It was a lunch that I had with a, a leading atheist in the area where I was speaking, a sharp guy, super smart. We had a great time talking. We really, really did. And I was just there to ask him a lot of questions. I really was not there to promote the Christian worldview. I told him that ahead of time. So we're just having lunch and I'm asking a lot of questions about claims that he's making. And at one point, I said, you're an atheist, right? He said, yes. And I said, so you believe the only thing that exists is matter and energy. There's no God, no soul, no spirit. Everything is matter and energy. And he said, yes. I said, so you are really just a specific collection of particles. There's no soul or spirit in you. You're just a specific collection of particles. And he said, yes. And I said, okay, I have a question for you. And I told him, I said, I'm asking this question as sincerely as possible. I'm not trying to trap you. I'm having a good time here. You're explaining your beliefs to me, and it just was raising questions. And he said, no, go ahead. Again, we we're having a great time. So I said, here's my question. Apparently, at some point in your past, your collection of particles, which is what he is, your collection of particles came into close proximity with another collection of particles. And it caused a response in his particles in such a way that he asked those other collection of particles to marry him. <laughs> he, he met his wife. <laughs> he started smiling and laughing. And we were both kind of laughing. That's what I'm talking about. He met his wife in the past. They got engaged. He got married. They've been married for a number of years. Well, he said, yes. I said, okay. And I said, most likely on a regular basis, your collection of particles are coming into close proximity with other collections of particles, which are also causing a similar response that you had when you first met your wife. Do you pursue an intimate relationship with all these other women? He said, no. I said, why not? He said, because I love my wife. I said, no, you don't. I said, what are you talking about? I said, you can't love your wife. You're just particles. No, I said, in my worldview... You are created in the image of God. God is love. It is a real thing. And you can actually experience that love relationship with your wife, who is also created in God's image. But that is my worldview. We are not here to talk about my worldview. We're here to talk about yours. So why don't you pursue these relationships? And he looked around. And he said, well, I, I mean, I got kids. I got a family. I'm committed to my family. I said, no, you're not. He said, what are you talking about? I said, particles aren't committed to anything. They just kind of interact. We're not committed to things, so why don't you pursue these relationships? And he was starting to get frustrated, and then all of a sudden his guys got big. Light bulb goes on. He go, he leans back. He goes, "Oh, he goes, now you're talking about the conscience." He said, "Scientists have been debating the conscience for years." I said, "You know what? You are absolutely right. They have been debating it for years." But that's not an answer because every one of their theories has to come down to particles banging together a certain way since there's no God. So it doesn't really answer the question just to, to mention that some people have been struggling with this and they don't really know how to label it or describe it. Then I asked him another question. 
I said, do you control the movement of your particles? And he said, no. He immediately said no, confidently said no, and he had to say no. If he would have said yes, I would have asked him, wait a minute, what are you using to control your particles if that's all you are is particles? So he said, no, he does not control the movement of his particles. So I picked up my fork a few inches and dropped it on the table. And I looked at him and I said, so you believe I had to do that right now? That that's just how my particles are moving. And he said, yes, that's true. I said, okay. I said, so the guys who flew the planes into the buildings in New York, 9-11, they had to do that because that's how their particles were moving. He got animated. Oh, no, no, no. He said, that was wrong. And people who do things like that need to be locked up and counseled until they're safe to be let out in society again. And I said, wait a minute. You said we don't control the movements of our particles, but now you're insinuating they were controlling the movement of theirs. You, you can't have it both, may, both ways. He didn't have a response. Then I said, you're an atheist. I said, you reject God, don't you? And he said, yes. I said, no, you don't. He said, what are you talking about? I said, you can't reject God. You're just particles. They don't really reject things. They just interact with each other. So you can't reject God. I said, at the same time, you don't think that God exists because your particles are moving in such a way that you're convinced God doesn't exist. But at the same time, my particles are moving in such a way that I believe that God does exist. He has a son named Jesus Christ, and I have a personal relationship with him. And you can't change that because that's just how my particles are moving. So I'm not even sure why you're giving me arguments why atheism is true. The whole thing is kind of absurd. And all I did with this is I put a pebble in his shoe. I just threw something out there that he has to think through. He has to make a decision. Does he keep his worldview and live with all these logical absurdities that don't make any sense? Or might he give any consideration to the fact that maybe he's wrong in his worldview? He's, he's got to think through that. That's for him to decide not for me. Now, if there is no God, he can't even decide that. It's just however his particles move, that'll determine what he believes or thinks. And it's just, again, a weird thing. My worldview, God has given him a spirit that he can use to make decisions, and he can even use that spirit to reject his creator, which at this point is what he's doing. But I'm praying for him. Great guy. I hope to be able to get together with him in the future. All right, that was all backdrop. I, I appreciate your patience with me. We are now officially going to start look, looking at evidence for the existence of God. Not sure how far we'll get in this episode. I have tons of stuff, and when we start running out of time, I, I'd like to kind of end 25, 30 minutes tops, keep these segments reasonable. So when we're getting about that time, I will wind down, and then the next episode we'll just start right back in where we left off. So, we're going to look at three lines of argumentation that I am calling a logical line of argumentation, evidential, and supernatural. Again, I know the supernatural one sounds weird. How do you have supernatural evidence for the supernatural? Uh, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of cool. You'll see that when we get there. We're going to start off looking at the logical line of argumentation. And when I say logical, I don't mean that the other ones are not logical. They're actually all logical. But I'm talking about things related specifically to logic. And I cannot overestimate the importance 
of being able to justify the tools that we're using to discuss these things. Again, in previous episodes, I mentioned if God doesn't exist, there's no rational basis for the existence of logic. This non-physical thing that exists that we call logic and the laws of logic and the laws of science and even where matter and energy came from if there's no God. You can believe in those things, but your worldview cannot support those things existing. And we need to use logic to talk about the rest of these things. An atheistic worldview does not have an explanation of why logic would just come out of nowhere for no reason, be consistent, and be something that we should adhere to. Even if it exists, why do we have to? Who's out there saying, hey, just so you know, you guys have to be logical? Just because it exists doesn't mean we need to be logical. Now, if there's a God and he's a God of order and he created logic, yeah, I think we should be rational and logical because God wants us to use our minds. He even says that in Scripture. So I don't want to just blow by that. I've spent a couple episodes talking about that, but it's not a minor thing that you just kind of mention and move on. So be thinking about that. That's huge. Um, I also mentioned something when we talked about the origin of the universe. I think it had four parts on that. There was something called the Kalam cosmological argument. I'm going to repeat that here because it ties into the existence of God as well. It is what we call a syllogism. A syllogism is a line of argumentation. Has, there's two propositions and one conclusion. So here's the Kalam cosmological argument. Everything that begins to exist must have a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe must have a cause. First two propositions and then a conclusion. I'll repeat it. Everything that begins to exist must have a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe must have a cause. This cause, whatever it may be, cannot itself have had a beginning because then we're just kicking the can further down the road. If the universe was caused by some other mega-universe, then you'd have to ask, well, what created the mega-universe? That couldn't have happened all by itself. Well, that was created by a mega-mega-universe. Again, then you're on infinitum into an infinite regress here. It's, just, it's not an answer. It's certainly not a scientific answer. So whatever caused the universe itself um, had to be uncaused. It leads to an ultimate uncaused cause. But wait a minute, you're thinking, I just said that everything has to have a cause, so you can't have an uncaused cause. No, that's not what I said. I didn't say everything has to have a cause. I said everything that begins to exist must have a cause. The Bible claims that God created the universe and that he didn't have a beginning. We will get to that more detail momentarily, but the Bible is talking about an uncaused cause, which is God. He brought everything into existence. He himself did not have a beginning. I know you might get hung up on that right now. We'll, we'll cover that in a little bit more detail very shortly here. Because this all leads to the classic argument where people say, well, fine, if God created the universe, then who created God? Gotcha. Okay, in one sense, that's a good and logical question, but not for a Christian to ask. A Christian should not be asking, okay, well, who created God? Where did he come from? And here's why. Psalm 90, verse 2, and in other passages, 
it talks about God having always existed. Psalm 90 verse 2 talks about that God is from everlasting to everlasting. The Bible, which is God's message to us about himself and his creation, tells us that he himself has always existed. It is the wrong question for a Christian to be asking. They should not be asking, where did God come from? Because God's word is telling us he didn't come from anywhere. He has always existed. Now, we may not be able to wrap our heads completely around that, but if God is all-powerful and all-knowing, I fully expect there to be things about God that I can't fully understand as a subservient created being. But he has chosen to tell us he has always existed. Now, that is probably not at all impressive to a skeptic. You quote in scripture, I don't even believe that God exists. I certainly don't believe the Bible is from God. I get that. I'm not sharing it at this point to impress you. I'm sharing it so that you fully understand the claims that the Bible is making. And we'll be getting to those claims even more in the near future, either part of this podcast or the next one. So I understand that doesn't impress a skeptic. So is there anything from science or logic that might support this claim that we see in the Bible? I think there is. Think about this, and we are headed into a very rational, logical argument. We are not headed into a religious argument right now. We are solely looking at things logically in this next scenario that I'm bringing up. So here's the thing to think about that I I believe offers support for what the Bible is telling us that God has always existed. You can ask yourself this. If there was ever a time in the past, no matter how far back you want to go, if there was ever a time in the past when absolutely nothing existed, what would be here today? The answer is clearly nothing. If there was ever a time in the past when truly absolutely nothing existed, and I mean nothing, I'm not saying, well, maybe there was a quantum vacuum, maybe there was space-time, maybe there was cosmic dust, maybe there was this virtual particle, no, If there was ever a time in the past when absolutely nothing existed, there wouldn't be anything here today because there wouldn't have even been any time existing back then for any events to occur. And there's no matter, there's no energy, there's no spirit, there's no force, there's no God, there's nothing. So if there was ever a time in the past when absolutely nothing existed, there wouldn't be anything here now. Well... We know for a fact there's something here right now. There's an entire universe filled with stuff. Therefore, logically, you can conclude there never was a time in the past when absolutely nothing existed. That's just logic. That also means if there was never a time when nothing existed, there's always been something around. There's always been something All right, that's really vague. So let's think through what this something might have been. Everything you can possibly think of right now falls into one of two categories. It's either physical stuff like matter and energy or mind. And I'll explain those. Everything's either physical stuff or mind, you know, chair you're sitting in, the car you're driving in, wherever you are right now, there's stuff all around. That's physical stuff. So we'll talk about that first. Well, scientists have concluded quite a while ago that physical stuff, matter and energy, the universe itself, cannot 
be eternal. It cannot have always existed. Go back to previous podcasts where I talk about the origin of the universe. They thought that for a while, that the universe was eternal. It was very convenient because then they didn't need to talk about a beginner. If you don't need a beginner, you don't need God. But then they realize, wait a minute, the universe can't be eternal. I mean, for one reason, if it was around forever, it would have run out of gas a long time ago. There'd be no energy or order left in our universe. But we call it the cosmos. The cosmos means order. There's lots of order, lots of energy. So secular scientists know the universe had a beginning. It has not always been around. The only other option, then, if it's not physical stuff, is the concept of mind. If I told you that my favorite color was teal, that's not something you can take into a laboratory and chop into five pieces and give each one of your friends a fifth of the fact that my favorite color is teal. That's just a concept from my mind, not a physical thing. So, if there has always been something around and it could only be either physical stuff or mind, and we pretty much ruled out physical stuff, especially scientifically, it just could not have always existed. Our only other option is a concept of mind. That's the whole idea of God. God is not a physical being. He created physical stuff, but he himself is a spirit being, more like what we would call a mind. So the Bible claims that God has always existed and he created this universe. And that lines up perfectly with logic and it's consistent given what we know about science, even including the basis for being able to do science and having laws of science and expecting consistency and regularity and all that. It makes so much sense. This was not a religious lesson. This is a lesson in logic. You may not like that scenario. I I get it. That's fine. You don't have to like it. You may not want God to exist, but you really can't rule God out, his existence, on the basis of science or logic. Quite the contrary. When you're looking at things logically and scientifically, it screams there must be a God. It's the only thing that really makes sense consistently. Well, The next major category I want to cover has to do with evidence, and this is going to get a little bit more normal. We're going to be discussing things you've probably heard of before. It's a little bit more tangible. It's really cool stuff, but we're already coming towards the end of this first podcast, so this is actually a great natural break. And when we come back with the next episode, we'll be talking about evidential evidence for the existence of God, and we'll see how far we get with that. After that, we will be looking at supernatural evidence for the existence of God. So again, I appreciate you hanging in there with me. I know we go kind of deep. I hope it's intriguing to you. I hope you're learning things. I hope, hope it makes sense. And I always say, if you keep tuning in and really focus on what we're discussing going forward, won't just be entertaining. It should be life-changing, including your eternity. So what's next? Well, it'll be the existence of God, part four. Very, very logical and rational. I'll be sharing some really exciting, fun, tangible evidences. You don't want to miss it. So come back, invite a friend, please subscribe. You don't want to miss a single episode. We will see you next time. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Starting Point Podcast. 
If you like the show, make sure to subscribe, tell a friend, and please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That's the number one way to help us reach more and more people with these important and inspiring messages. To learn more about myself, Jay Siegert, and The Starting Point Project, please visit us at thestartingpointproject.com. We'll catch you next time.